We have tons of Marvel news, including the trailer for Echo. HBO reveals when your favorite shows will be back. And Nicolas Cage calls AI inhumane. All that and more on today's Multiverse News. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll, and on the panel with me today, we have uh, J. Scotty St. Clair from Animation Deliberation. What's up, J. Scotty? Hey, I'm all revved up and raring to go. We've got a jam-packed news week, and excited to get into it. <laughs> all revved up and raring to go. I like it. I like sure. it. Um, bringing the energy. Bring, bring, that, bring that full Pickle energy, Jay Scotty. <laughs> that's my legacy. I'm okay with that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's an inside joke from the MCU cast last week. Um, okay, and Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. What's up, Haley? Yeah, we have a marvelous uh, bunch of news to talk about, and we have more passion, more energy, more footwork. <laughs> no? I, I don't know oh, what that is. I was vibing. I was vibing. <laughs> I, I dig it. it. <laughs> I dig the energy. <laughs> Oh, is that on TikTok? I don't know. Which I don't have, so it's on Instagram. <laughs> Man, I don't know how you guys live without TikTok. It's hey, so I don't good. have it either. You're the only one here. Man, it's so good. Stop being so old, guys. <laughs> Time marches on. <laughs> I think I'm the oldest one here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't totally sure. Uh, and Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. What's up, Jay? Oh, you know, not doing great. I've been sick for like three days, um, but the news rolls on, so I have to. So, you know, here I am anyway. So I'm just going to soldier through, and you're going to get my best, even though I'm not feeling it. But Oh, man. I'm I'm happy to be here. You know, it's uh, still looking forward to getting together, doing multiverse news, despite the, the illness. Well, man, I appreciate your show must go on mentality. This is like uh, when Michael Jordan had the flu game. Like, this is my flu game right yeah, now. Yeah, it's going to be amazing, yeah. though. We're gonna, you're going you're gonna to kill it. We're all witnessing history in the making right now. That's right. That's right. Uh, hey, we, uh, we have some things to announce. Uh, we have winners for our Steelbook contest. Uh, our Steelbook contest goes to our Patreon winner is David Brewer. Uh, our five-star review slash rating winner is Tristan Wright. And uh, Social Shares is Sharon Let's Go, a.k.a. Waterfall Angel, our old friend. So you guys all win a Loki Steelbook. Thank you for everybody who participated in that contest and got us lots of extra reviews and such. We'll be doing more things like that in the future because it really helps us 
boost the profile of the show, get it in front of more people, and uh, we like sharing the show. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess we get the news? Is that what we do here? Something like that. I have been told. Okay. <laughs> we'll do the news then. We'll do the news. Last week, Variety published an article titled Crisis at Marvel that laid out a behind-the-scenes look at the growing issues and long-term concerns at Marvel Studios and Disney regarding the present and future of the MCU. If you follow this show, you are likely up on many of these points they discussed, but here are a few that caught our eye. I'm going to read these point by point. We'll kind of take them one at a time. Uh, This week's new MCU entry The Marvels had several behind-the-scenes issues. The budget for the film was $250 million and is tracking for a low opening weekend, as we've discussed previously. Lengthy reshoots were needed to bring the film together, and director Nia DaCosta also relocated and started working on another project during post-production, which is uncommon in Hollywood, especially with a film of this budget size. However, DaCosta re- recently responded to the article stating that this was due to delays in the Marvel's release date and was not a controversial move with the studio. I feel for the Marvel's movie, it's coming at such a challenging time for the MCU and for Marvel Studios in general. They aired the final trailer last night during Monday Night Football, and I it got me really hyped for the movie. They took a completely different tone with it they made it very serious they they referenced um some of our ogs not in significant ways so it's not a spoiler um and so it was kind of interesting and i it felt a little like marvel's like begging us to come see this movie Mm. and that's probably (laughs) part of what was going on but again i hate that for it it has all these things working against it it has the current state of marvel studios and the mcu It's a three-female-led movie, which we know there's a population of the world that's just not into that in general. Uh, Brie Larson is the main lead, and she's got, unfortunately, a group of people who don't like her. I'm becoming more and more of a Brie Larson stan as time goes on, and you should watch Lessons in Chemistry if you have Apple TV+. She's phenomenal in it. Um, It has had all these reshoots. It's had all these pushbacks. Poor Nia DaCosta keeps getting her comments taken completely out of what she's saying. Like, this is not the context of anything she's said, Um, which I hate that for her. And that kind of feels a little bit like they're going after her unnecessarily as a director and as a female director on a superhero movie. And I just I worry so much for it. But I think that what it's going to do is be not a great box office performer. But I think it's going to catch a lot of traction. And I was telling Jay yesterday, I actually think it might appeal to a new audience for Marvel, which is this younger adolescent female population that probably hasn't been super in tune with maybe the Infinity Saga. Like maybe they were little and now they're preteens or teenagers. I think it has that opportunity in streaming. Um, I I want it. I think it's going to be good, but I just think it's going to get raked across the coals. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately for these types of things, sometimes the narrative gets written afterwards in hindsight with this information. So like the whole thing about Nia DaCosta leaving post-production, the four weeks of reshoots, like on the surface and especially when she addressed the comments, they don't seem like that colossal of a deal, uh, especially if the studio is okay with it. But the problem is, is that if the movie 
does well, they won't be a big deal, right? Like, it'll just kind of be like, that'll be the narrative. Like, it'll get written after the fact. It'll be mm. like, well, clearly they worked it out and they figured it out and they did the reshoots and, you know, the, resh- the reshoots were fine and everybody's happy. But if the movie doesn't do well, which at the moment it's kind of tracking that way, unfortunately, with like pre-ticket sales and stuff like that, if it doesn't do well, then the narrative changes, right? With the same information, but the narrative changes. It becomes, well, you know, they weren't matching on a vision and she wanted it this way and they wanted it this way and Feige came in and changed it around you know it just kind of then it starts to get kind of messy and the blame game starts it's like whose fault was it that it was a bad box office and Mm. that's kind of the that's kind of what i see with that story is it's like to me on the surface it doesn't really seem like anything that's gonna break the movie but it will be fuel for somebody's fire if the movie doesn't do well and that's that's kind of the thing going forward you know yeah The one thing I'll add is that I completely agree with what's been brought up. I think the odds are unfairly stacked against this film. But um, with Nia DaCosta's quotes, I really hope this is a case of her just trying to like – or I I guess I I should say I hope it's a case of her being honest and not a case of her trying to save face because her involvement was actually one of the things that like had me most excited about this movie. She did really interesting things with Candyman and this was going to be her follow-up to that. So I I hope this isn't a case of where, you know, the studio took the movie away from her and it kind of gets put on the assembly line and Mm. her, you know, unique creative vision kind of gets lost in the translation there. I'm kind of getting vibes of that, but, you know, hopefully that's not the case. Mm. I do think the trailer looks different than anything Marvel's done and I really liked... Uh, your your point, Haley, about maybe a new audience, and I, I think there's something to be said for like, if you see, if you get on YouTube, if you get on the internet, and every uh like super fan Marvel geek is talking about a movie, and you're not one of those, it might turn you off of it. And the fact that it's not getting the traction with does it might leave some space for a new audience to walk in that like just want to see a movie led by these three ladies, and like it looks cool and it looks. Uh, you know, interesting and different than other things in the past. So, yeah, and just a movie that just looks different um, and has a has the opportunity to grab a new audience. So, I think that's a really good point. I like that a lot. Um, I think the movie just looks very cool and very signature uh, to this this creative team. Doesn't look like other stuff they've done in the past. So, I'm excited. I'm excited. Two days. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. All right. Many of the recent VFX issues are attributed to poor script writing and planning. VFX artists report that they are asked to pivot sometimes suddenly to correct or add VFX late in production due to script rewrites. For example, the first of She-Hulk, which was originally a later episode in the season, was flipped to the first episode and ended up costing $25 million for that single episode due to the rewrite. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I really think a lot of this stuff in this article is something that we've been talking about for a while. And the VFX issues and the VFX industry looking to unionize is really a direct result of this type of stuff, is that idea of... uh, it seems like, at least from the article, the way that they're describing it, and you don't really know whose side you're getting here. You're probably getting disgruntled VFX workers' side here. But it seems like Marvel has a habit, especially on the shows, of coming in with scripts that are just kind of like half-baked. Like, they kind of have the idea, mm. and then they start shooting, and then they start building as they go, and then they're constantly asking these VFX writers, like, actually, that fight, we want to put it here, and we need to just change this and that. And from the VFX perspective, they're saying, like, that's why a lot of these uh, projects have come out 
looking kind of poorly, which I kind of buy because when you look at the VFX, it is it has been a little up and down depending on what you're watching. And um, there is, I think, an explanation for that. I think a lot of these things were pushed on the assembly line during COVID. I think there was like a lot of we got to get this content out fast and it shows uh, twenty five million dollars for one episode of She Hawk, which is a thirty minute show. Like that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty nuts uh, mm-hmm. if that's accurate reporting. So, um, so yeah, I think the good news is in this is that this is correctable. I mean, if you if you start with stronger scripts, and I think having a showrunner really addresses a lot of this, which is something we know Marvel did not have, but is now making changes to have. So I think those types of changes could really put this in the right direction and make it a lot more of a comfortable workspace for VFX artists they know what they're getting themselves into they know exactly what to do and they don't feel like they're kind of being pushed around back and forth it's the balance of all art to be like have a vision but have flexibility like those two things are always a balance you have to find in whatever art you're making and it just seems like marvel had drifted more and more to the we want to be flexible as we can be to fit whatever cameo we want to promote the next thing or whatever we want to do like uh, whatever, whatever we want to change in the creator's vision, we want to be able to do that. And I think they need to move away from that and rebalance it. I mean, like yeah. that, that is a strength of theirs being able to throw the shawarma scene on the week before the movie comes out. Like that's a cool flexibility thing that Marvel has been able to do. But you know, if you go too far to that side, you lose the vision. Yeah. Evidently that first episode of She-Hulk where she like becomes She-Hulk, that was like episode eight. Or something, and they shot it. Yeah, like episode eight. Exactly. And then yeah. all of a sudden, they're like, "Wait a minute, this should be the first episode." Right. <laughs> and so they just had to like completely go in and scrap it down and like patch it together, and then be like, basically flip the story. I mean, you flipped it completely around. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to make that work. It's not. That's not that simple. Yeah. Also included in that article, Blade continues to have serious script issues. The script has been rewritten multiple times, and lead actor Mahershala Ali nearly left the project on multiple occasions. One rewrite of the script was described as female-centric. Blade was relegated to a fourth lead and full of life lessons. Hmm. Marvel is still looking to make the film, but on a budget of less than $100 million. So this is one of those stories that just kind of has me scratching my head. Like, what is so difficult about Blade to crack here? And, (laughs) you know, I'm hopeful that a lot of these, like, script issues that they refer to are all, you know, referring to things that took place prior to the strike. And I know the strike hasn't been over that long, so there hasn't been a ton of time to work on new iterations. But the last thing I remember hearing before the strike happened is that uh, Nick Pizzolatto from True Detective was attached mm, right. uh, to give it another treatment there. And, you know, I, I not to compare myself in like a qualitative measure to anyone else, but listening to this, this you know, pitch about a female-centric with Blade as a fourth lead – I like to think that like I'm more open-minded than probably a lot of other viewers and I'm not as beholden to some of these characters. Like I can ap- appreciate new interpretations and yeah. uh, new artistic visions. But yeah, this just like shows that like they, they're not in sync with what people want. Like coming off of those, you know, the Wesley Snipes trilogy and knowing that Mahershala Ali is, is attached to this and what little teases that we've had, like people want – you know, Blade, and they want Blade forthright, especially with as long as we yeah. have to wait. So, um, you know, hearing a, a budget less than 100 mil- million, like that, you know, 
sounds good to me. It sounds like they're going to lean into practical effects and be a little bit more responsible when it comes to their budgets. But um, I mean, apart from that, you know, um, if they have to take their time on it, take your time on it. I would like to see a quality product, but don't take so long that you lose Mahershala Ali because, you know, he's mm. A-list talent. And uh, at this point, it's, it feels like they're kind of treating him like Henry Cavill. So I wouldn't blame him Oof. at all if he left. <laughs> one of the oh, one of the rumors that I heard years ago about this movie when they were first talking about bringing in Blade to the MCU, one of the rumors was that they were going to do a Blade's daughter movie and that Wesley hmm. Snipes was going to come back as Blade. And it, may, it makes me wonder if there's like some, the, the fact they had a female centric version. I wonder if that was like part of it. But it's like, no, you've got Mahershala Ali, this hot, uh, like Oscar winning actor, like use him. Um, and, and the fact that they disrespect the actors so much, it seems these days, like Henry Cavill and now this with Mahershala Ali, it just feels like. There's this this narrative about how there's not there aren't movie stars anymore. It's the the franchises mm. are the movie stars, you know, and it makes right. you think about like, but but the talent is still incredibly important as we've seen. I think like, yeah, well here I'll I'll read this next one and this is this is showing how important this next one shows it. Uh, Marvel Studios has had talks about bringing back the original six Avengers actors uh, for a new Avengers film to revive excitement in the franchise despite the deaths of, spoiler alert, Iron Man and Black Widow. <laughs> and now there are rumors that Robert Downey Jr. has agreed to another film. Yeah, uh, another head scratcher because you want you want those movies to stand on their own. I think what they're what they might have more of a <laughs> success doing, I guess, would be the connective tissue of those OG Avengers. But why are we already talking about bringing back two of them that had very significant deaths in the franchise? That it it's not really a good look for Marvel, and mm. it I kind of like I said with the Marvels, it's starting to maybe reek of desperation a little, mm. and we would probably all love to see Tony come back in some form or fashion. I just don't think we want that Tony Stark to come back. I don't know. It's not, it's like you're saying, this is not um, going to give us confidence like you think it is. <clears throat> yeah. Like I get the move and I, I, I understand comic books and all that, but like at the same time, it feels like you're just yanking the toys out of the toy chest, you know, and just pushing them all together and being like, you guys want this, you know, <laughs> or whatever, um, wh whenever you told a really good story. Also, I don't know if Scarlett Johansson's particularly looking to work with you again after the Black Widow debacle that stretched out into uh, the court system. And she did say she would, <laughs> though, actually. <laughs> that is true. That. <laughs> uh, you know, the once the checkbooks come out, people forgive really quick. Mm. But also, Robert Downey Jr., I think his fee for appearing in Iron Man 3 was $25 million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cha-ching, Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, you really want to bring him back for $30 million or whatever? Like, you know, again, I get it. It's just, uh, I, to me, it seems like such a weird move to yeah. make now. When you're trying, you're actively saying, we're developing new characters. We're bringing in these new people. We're focusing in on these new teams, these new stories, these new storylines. It feels really muddied, you know, uh, and even from like a just get them all down here for Secret Wars. Like, I don't know. I don't know if people are necessarily like begging for that, you know, as much as maybe people think that they are. I, yeah. I think a lot of people were satisfied with the way that the uh, as much as they love those movies. I think a lot of people were satisfied with how the Infinity Saga ended and cracking it open. What less than 10 years after it ended maybe doesn't really feel like the right move to me. 
I have a very different take on this. Like the this article, I think, has a lot of elements we've heard already. But they build this narrative. This entire Variety article is building this narrative of, and I talked about this on the MCU cast yesterday. So some people out there may have already heard me talk about this. But uh, they build this narrative that it's all falling apart, and they use all of these things as clues as to why it's falling apart. But some of these things aren't really clues to it falling apart. They're things that happened or whatever. And like this particular one, I think is particularly egregious because I think that this is probably. If I had to guess, based on the way they say it in the article, this is probably just talking about secret wars. And the way they say it is it's quote it's some quote from someone who was not named saying like they're even considering bringing them back bringing them back. And it's like, of course they are. Like if they have secret wars and the original six don't show up, I'll like be shocked. Of course they're thinking about bringing them back for a for an Avengers movie, which was Avengers Secret Wars. Like, I, I don't know. I just think that that's probably what happened. And then they used it as part of this narrative in the article. But I don't think, I doubt they're thinking about, like, bringing back to life those two that are dead. I think they're probably just going to have, like, a version of them from the multiverse who didn't die. You know, like, the six are still alive on some other multiverse. And we see them fighting, you know, or see them for a scene or two, you know. I, I think yeah. I think that's probably what this was. I think you're right, and I that was my thought, too, when I read it, because I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense if they want to do Secret Wars, because you have multiples of everybody going on, mm-hmm. but even so, I it's like, well, then let's keep that news close to the vest. Like, if Marvel leaked that or told somebody in hopes that it would create brand confidence, I don't think it's doing that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think so that's... I'm on like both sides of that. Well, issue. the way it was read, read in the article is that some source at Marvel like was leaking that information to this person and did not name themselves. So that seems like to me that person's just like giving an interpretation of what they think to this person writing an article who is already greatly narrativized that like it's trying to say a certain thing about Marvel. And I just think that piece of information has nothing to do with the overall fall of Marvel or whatever. Like, it just felt very tacked in there as like, look how desperate they are. And I'm like, no, this is part of Secret Wars, I bet. And like, that's that's just what I think. I don't know. Uh, We can move to the next thing. Lastly, Marvel is still undecided about how to handle the future of Jonathan Majors in the MCU. Uh, Discussions have ranged from recasting him to pivoting away from Kang the Conqueror entirely to another villain such as Dr. Victor Von Doom. With Majors' case now going to trial and with the writer's strike preventing script rewrites for so long, the studio has yet to commit to a path forward. The Creative Artists Agency, CAA, dropped Majors pre-arrest due to brutal conduct, which seems to indicate that Marvel Studios might want to move on from him regardless of the legal situation. Yeah, for me, reading through the whole article, this was the one thing that stood out to me Mm. as new information because this was the first time that I felt like Jonathan Majors is probably not coming back. You know, like, the over the past months that this has been going on we've always checked in and said you know this is going to trial it's going to happen if it ends up that he's found guilty then they'll make a decision if he's found not guilty then we'll probably see him pop up again like that's always kind of been the discussion 
I didn't know that the CAA dropped him pre-arrest. I don't know if that's if I just missed that or if that was new information dropped in this article. But to drop him for brutal conduct was was their reason. And for it to be pre-arrest, that's enough. Like, to me, that tells me it doesn't even matter what mm-hmm. happens with the case. Like, he could go in and they could find him not guilty by court of law. Like, I think that's enough to not use him again. Um, a lot of the stuff surrounding the case uh, doesn't necessarily look great from a legal standpoint. Uh, his team's working very hard to repress certain pieces of information from getting to the public, and that's never a good sign for the person who's on trial. And so to me, like, I think they need something to happen with Kang. I I don't think they can just abandon him. Uh, They've clearly set up this storyline to run through that character. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if after this episode of Loki coming out this week, that this is the last we see of Jonathan Majors uh, in the MCU. Uh, That would not surprise me 1% uh, at this point. And, I, I don't understand why they can't just recast him. Um, I don't understand why that hasn't always just been the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done it before. Uh, he's a multiversal villain. Um, that's maybe there's some deeper reason why they feel like they they're not going <laughs> there that that's not on the table or that that's not kind of at the forefront. But to me, that kind of seems like the easiest path forward. Just recast him, find it, maybe even have have fun with it. Like have a different actor playing Kang in every film, yeah. every TV show. Like have just different people portraying him across the um, across these different properties, and try yep. to really lean into that idea of being a multiversal villain, and then bring them all together for this Kang Dynasty movie, and then move on. Um, so, so to me, I I, I think if you're sort of sitting there saying like, well, we'll see what happens with the case, and then we'll see what happens with Jonathan Majors, like. I don't know. It might already be decided uh, based on looking at this. Yeah. I had not heard the brutal conduct thing before. That is one of the new pieces of information. And that's, that seems pretty, because if it's completely unconnected to the case, brutal conduct sounds like a, someone you might not want to work with. Um, but you know, again, it sucks. Cause like, we don't know what that brutal conduct is. And it's like court of law versus like he said, she said, uh, or like hearsay from this or like company or whatever. Uh, I, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out in the next few months. I hope. Um, but you know, all that being said, there's a lot of optimism still around Marvel. I think they're still moving forward with a lot of cool things. And I think all of this will lead to, uh, all, all the problems they're having in like, sort of production areas, like the VFX stuff, the writing stuff. I think this sort of criticism that we're getting and this sort of like down tick in their box office, I think it will lead to better change. Uh, like I think it will lead to better movies moving forward and more innovative movies. The The one thing that I do think is just like a really hard, I mean, obviously the writer strikes and the strikes are hard, but like, the Jonathan Major stuff, them calling their shot so big, and the Jonathan Major stuff just like tanking um, their their plans. Like that's their only like really struggle. I feel like the other stuff is just like <laughs> you know it's issues you have with the studio, and hopefully it inspires them to do better in the next re- next phase. Yeah, I suppose to kind of speak to that uh, optimism in the face of like what I guess are obvious problems, like the case of Jonathan Majors. Like even if they do have to pivot from Kang. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I I am conflicted, you know, as a fan and someone that, you know, participating on this show or, you know, being a listener to the MCU cast, like, I definitely don't want Marvel to stop making content for selfish reasons. But at the same time, if they do have to take a pause because of this and then, you know, like, 
really lay some groundwork and have like a solid plan in place and, you know, improve the quality all across the board from the storytelling to the, you know, VFX. I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. And that's where I find some of my optimism coming from. Mm, absolutely. Uh, okay. Moving on from all that Marvel news to more Marvel news in <laughs> the franchise giant is venturing into more mature territory with echo which unveiled a moody and violent trailer last Friday. The new series will be the MCU's first TVMA rating and the first to debut simultaneously on Disney Plus and sister streaming service Hulu. Both Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio will appear in the show starring as Matt Murdock, Daredevil, and Wilson Fisk's Kingpin, uh, respectively. Star Alakwa Cox will reprise her Hawkeye role as Maya Lopez, Echo. Also, of note, Echo will premiere under a new banner called Marvel Spotlight, complete with a new intro scored by Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino and a new logo. This new subcategory of Marvel will focus on standalone properties versus series and movies that connect to the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel Spotlight gets its name from an anthology comic book series first introduced by Marvel in 1971, which featured new characters that readers didn't have to fully commit to over several issues. Echo is setting the stage for a lot of potential trends with Marvel Studios. What do you guys think of this new strategy? The first thing I thought of was that Scotty was right and that both can exist and that's what they're trying to do mm -hmm. now. <laughs> um, so to speak to the Echo trailer, they really just dropped us into the Netflix series mode like right off the bat and mm -hmm. I thought it was really excellent. I think it's going to bring a lot of people around to that character and I think it was a surprise, seriously, to see that it was um, rated TVMA. And I think that that makes sense. I don't know a lot about Echo yet as a character because we haven't covered it on source pages, but we will. Um, but I think they maybe saw that she wasn't the most... She wasn't a character that got a lot of people excited from the Hawkeye series. And hmm. I am one of those people. But this makes me maybe look at her in a different way. And I think I saw a headline somewhere and I didn't click on it. So I don't know if it was legit or not that said she's going to be like the villain of her series. And I kind of like that we're going down a dark road with that. It looks like we're just hitting on all cylinders for people who loved those Netflix shows. Yeah. The Marvel Spotlight thing, I have... I have concerns about because I don't want a character like Echo, who I just said a lot of people haven't connected with yet, to f I don't want those characters to feel like they're being shunted off of the MCU, which we all love and want to see flourish under this Marvel Spotlight banner. It feels a little bit like you're the stepchildren over here that we're, we're going to acknowledge you, but you're not part of the family. Like, I don't know. It was, it's kind of feels a little ick. Um, it, it could be really cool. Like Ghost Rider was one of those comics characters that came out in the Marvel Spotlight comics. And so was Spider-Woman. Those are both really loved characters. So maybe this is the balance we need, like Thanos said. And maybe it's going to work out for the best. I'm just, I'm trepidatious about it right now. I, 
we we've all for years and, and when when they were saying it's all connected and they did the shield stuff and the defender stuff and a lot of it never connected we felt cheated you know we felt like oh that didn't connect but we now look back at it as kind of like the golden age of what Marvel was doing. You know, they had these amazing movies and theaters that were coming out three times a year and they like this great narrative pushing forward. And then they had these shows that were like admittedly relegated to less connected, but they really, they, they, they really uh, hit with people, you know, the, the defenders and, and, and all the, all of the stuff that came from that was amazing. And the shield stuff has a huge fan base. I'm one of them. My mom's one of them. My mom will not stop watching shield. She's watched it like 10 times now. <laughs> and she sits, she puts it on and falls asleep to it. And she's like, I've never seen this one. And she's seen the whole show eight <laughs> times. I've seen her watch it just from season one to seven over and over and over. She ends it and just starts it over. Uh, my mom loves Agents of shield. Uh, <laughs> Hasn't watched even the entire MCU, but loves Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just over and over. Um, but anyway, I, I think maybe what we want, well, back when we were talking about wanting all that connectivity, maybe some of those decisions they were making back then were wise. Because now that we have all this connectivity, it's hard to manage. It's hard to keep it all feeling connected while introducing all these new characters, while doing all these new things. And I think maybe going back for something like defenders and call it, if they call it spotlight, whatever they want to call it, I think is not right. a terrible idea. Yeah. I see both sides here. Like I get the idea of moving away from it because, and why that could be dangerous because you, that's your brand. Your brand is that everything connects. That's mm-hmm. what made you successful and made you what you are. So I see the danger in that. I guess I see the logic on the other side of like, a lot of people feeling overwhelmed by the mass amount of content and feeling like, well, I can't watch a Marvel thing because I haven't watched any of the Marvel things, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of lumping it all together and seeing that Marvel and just immediately being like, I can't do that. Maybe someday, you know, but I just, I can't do that. Yeah. I haven't watched anything since Endgame. But if it's kind of pitched this way of like, well, this is just a show and you don't have to have any prior knowledge and they get that and that's communicated well to the audience, then I could see in a, in a perfect world uh, that people would gravitate towards that and say, well, I could watch this then. Um, I think what this trailer did well is it definitely captured the attention of fans, if nothing else. Um, you, you saw it. I mean, it was trending all over the place on Friday. Uh, it was, you know, th- some of the top trending trends on Twitter were like TVMA and like Echo and, you know, Marvel Spotlight and all that. So people were definitely talking about it. And most of the chatter was pretty positive. I thought the trailer was really cool. I think we all liked the trailer itself. I thought the Native American ties in it were really, really cool and unexpected. Um, I didn't expect the trailer to play out like it did. And I found myself walking away being excited for it. Whereas before, I would watch it because it's Marvel, but I wasn't like excited for it. You know, like I was, I didn't have it circled on my calendar. But after seeing the trailer, I kind of felt, okay, yeah, like I'm, I'm ready to see the first episode of this thing. I'm ready to get into it. And I think a lot of people had that experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll start by saying I, Echo was never like my most anticipated series, but I was still on board based on what I saw from Hawkeye. But uh, this trailer increased my excitement like tenfold, like just super, super effective trailer. And I think kind of focusing on Wilson Fisk's uh, Kingpin was a smart move and kind of centering the narrative around him was uh, definitely the way to play it. But uh, in terms of like the Marvel spotlight of them, of two minds on there, I, I see the you know the positive points that are being brought here, but it also feels like it's kind of like needlessly muddying the waters or like making things like murky. Like, and Haley, I appreciate you uh, you know 
calling back what I brought up about like both things existing. I, I kind of wish they would just embrace that without having to have the separate moniker. And I do appreciate that. It's a throwback to, you know, like a comic line from the 70s and whatnot. But it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you recall, around like circa 2008 after Iron Man had come out, they came out with that uh, Punisher Warzone movie with uh, – why can't I think of his name now, Ray? He just passed away. Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson. Thank you. Forgive me. Um, and that was called like Marvel Knights. And that was going to be like their brand that was a little more mature, a little more violent. <laughs> and it, it never went anywhere. And I'm, I'm kind of getting similar vibes here. I, I appreciate what you're bringing up, Matt, about how like I definitely thought the tone of this trailer and even like the like the font style they tried to mm-hmm. use with the the title card like reminded me of everything from the Defenders and the Punisher specifically. Um, so I think initially like the release strategy, some of the like seeming hesitation around this series, I th- thought spoke to a lack of confidence. But now I think it's just like the people, like the, the big wigs or the higher ups saw what they had on their hands here. And I think it was more a reaction to the fact that like, oh, this is like mature adult content. Yeah. We don't really know what to do with this. And that like actually excites me. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think the messaging issue there, though, is that you have fans who right now they say even fans, hardcore fans in our Facebook group of Stranded Panda are like, uh, do I need to know, like, do you think I need to watch Loki episode five or six, whatever the last episode is six, before mm-hmm. I see the Marvels? And it's like, well, no, it's highly unlikely. But so what are casual fans going to think when they're faced with this content doesn't really matter yeah. if you want to know about this content? I, I, I think it's I think it's confusing messaging. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, when Kevin Feige came out at the beginning of phase four, <laughs> WandaVision? <laughs> Right, I think, Uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) And said, you have to watch WandaVision to know what's going on in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, and people didn't listen, then then now you're adding this extra layer of complication. I totally understand why they're doing it. I just don't know that it's going to have the effect they think it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. All right, guys. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We have gone two stories deep. 40 minutes. <laughs> We're going to a quick break. Hey, the other ones will move. Glad Scotty's editing tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, me. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Multiverse News. We're going to get right back into our next story. This is so silly. I find this story so silly. Nicholas Cage <laughs> shared his thoughts on the use of AI in films, uh, as well as his feelings about the 
final cut of his cameo as Superman in The Flash. In a recent interview with Yahoo Entertainment, Cage expressed his personal distaste for the technology, saying, AI is a nightmare to me. It's inhumane. You can't go more inhumane than artificial intelligence. Uh, speaking of his brief cameo in The Flash, he said... When I went to the sorry, when I went to the picture, <laughs> it, when I went to the picture, it was me fighting a giant spider. I did not do that. That was not what I did. I don't think it was created by AI. Uh, I know Tim Burton is upset about AI, as I am, uh, is as upset about uh, AI as I am. Uh, it was CGI. Okay, so. They could de-age me, and I'm fighting a spider. I didn't do any of that, so I don't know what happened there. Uh, we know Cage isn't alone in these feelings, but what is the reality of merging AI with art? <laughs> I would imagine that it is sort of terrifying to be an actor and to go to work and film a cameo for multiple hours and then sit and then go sit in the theater having not seen a cut of the film and then your character on the screen is just doing something completely different than what you did while yeah. you were in the, in the production like i would pay money to sit beside nick cage when he saw this for the first time just to like <laughs> see his reaction like you know he he even went on in the article uh, to talk about how they basically told him, like, look, you're going to be Superman. You're looking at the Flash, and it's this, like, emotional moment. So we need you to, like, convey all this energy and emotion and drama with your eyes and your face. And so he's like, I did that. Like, th that was what I did for three hours is I just pushed all this emotion out of my face. And then he watches it, and he looks like he's underwater, first of all. Like, I, <laughs> I yeah. feel like that scene just looks bad. Like, it, uh, it just doesn't look good. And then he's fighting a spider which he did not know was happening so you know from an artist standpoint i can see why you would just be completely freaked out by that you'd be like what is what is my art anymore if it can just be molded into whatever the vision is and this is why the this is one of the core reasons the actors are on strike it's because of stuff like this it's like you just want to come in and scan me and then just use me as a puppet like that's kind of what happened here so it does open up this bigger conversation in a way about ai and art and this conversation because it's led to this this Hollywood grinding itself to a halt, really, uh, in a bigger sense. Mm -hmm. The phrase meat puppet <laughs> <laughs> popped into my head when you said that, and I hate it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, with this story, spoilers are a given. So I, I will say, you know, that, I, that moment in the theater, that reveal with Nick Cage in the theater, like that was that, – that was – got an audible reaction out of me and nothing will ever take away from that, you know, that moment I, that I had in the theater. But uh, as time has gone on and the conversation has persisted, like that moment has just soured mm. more and more and more and more. See, it's funny more. you say that because our theater, the theater that I was in, they groaned. Like everybody was like, yeah. oh my God. Like nobody right. was excited about it. <laughs> well, I, I like, I like, you know, I had the reaction. I looked around to see if anybody else and there was one right. other guy that was like even more amped than me. He was like getting up like, woo, they did it. They did it. I was like, all right, I'm not alone here. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, this I, I wish I could say this is surprising, but it's not surprising at all, especially considering uh, in that same sequence, they have a uh, 
a segment where they flash to Jay Garrick and like the conversation around that has been is like, oh, who was the actor that was supposed to be portraying Jay Garrick? And apparently there was no actor. It was just like a completely fabricated digital double that would just look like, you know, comics version Jay Garrick. So they didn't even have a stand in in that case. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. It's you know it's just animation in the end, and it's just like animation to look like Nick Cage, uh, which is is not different than like animating things otherwise. But it's just it is it just feels weird. It feels weird when it's when you can cross the uncanny valley and put an actor there that looks like they role played the role but they didn't. It's a very very weird time. Um, yeah, it's Hollywood taking shortcuts, and look how well it worked out for the Flash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, Marv- Marvel's guilty of it too. Like, look at two thousand eight Iron Man, and like some of like the use of CGI with the Iron Man suit and that. Like, how much better that holds up than like some of the yeah. stuff we see, like circa like Civil War, even like. Yeah. 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 There, there's a there's a um I want to say it's an, a YouTube essay by Patrick H. Willems, who if you guys haven't seen Patrick H. Willems really great YouTuber. He does these long form essays that are like weird and a lot of really cool filmmaking stuff. Um, but one of the things he talks about is I want to, I, I might even have the guy wrong, but either way, check out Patrick Gabe Williams. Um, but uh, he, there's, there's, there's a YouTube essay that talks about how these companies, these franchise companies have started creating these moments that are designed for theaters to go, I recognize that. You know what I mean? Like they're not designed to go. And, and that moment of the spider feels like like the epitome of that because it's I I heard Kevin Smith talk about this years ago. Is like the reaction that like fans that are deep into this stuff know, but other people are like, why is this happening? Like it doesn't matter at yeah. all. This is not set right. up within this movie. This is a thing for fans to go. I recognize that. I, re- I get that reference. I, and it is, there's like a feeling to <laughs> that that feels wonderful in the moment, but ha- there's no substance to it. Right. You know what I mean? For sure. If they- people didn't know either. Like, like so many, like hardcore fans, of course, is like, oh yeah, canceled Tim Burton Superman movie, right. of course. Like people knew, but like not, like how, what percentage of people watching that movie got that reference? Like probably, like I feel like it's got to be like 10% or something. Like I feel like a lot, like most, like the guy I was watching it with, he was like, what the hell? Like why is Nick Cage in here in Superman? Like he had no clue what was going on. And I was like, it's a long story, you know? Uh, but I feel like a lot of people had that reaction. They're just like, what? Like, why did you, <laughs> like, what? Who? why is Nick Cage here? Right. And that's the thing is it's like, it's confusing to people who don't know and to people who do know, just like Jay Scotty said, like, you get that immediate reaction, but it just doesn't age well. It sours over time. It feels like it's just a. It was. It was there to elicit a reaction in the theater, and it's not there to make this movie rewatchable or substantive or have meaning. It's just there to make me go, "Ooh!" And like that feels good. It feels good to go, "Ooh!" Um, but like it's not. It's not a sustainable way to make a franchise. It doesn't make me want to come back. You right. Know? Okay, up next, at a press event last week, HBO chief Casey Bloys gave updates about several of HBO's most popular titles. The second season of acclaimed Game of Thrones prequel House of the Dragon will air in early summer of 2024. The second season will consist of eight episodes, which is two less than the first season. 
Euphoria Season 3, White Lotus Season 3, and HBO's prequel series to Stephen King's novel It, Welcome to Dairy, have been pushed to 2025. The Last of Us Season 2 begins production in spring of 2024, pending a resolution of the actor's strike, and will also likely premiere in 2025. Matt Reeves' Batmanverse series, The Penguin, has been pushed to mid or late 2024. Of all the acclaimed shows mentioned, which one is going to be the most difficult to wait for? Ooh, in terms of the most difficult to wait for, I'm tempted to say The Penguin because I do love, you know, an interconnected universe, but uh, (laughs) I think I lean towards The Last of Us. That first season of The Last of Us was just really, really solid, and I'm excited to see that, uh, that saga continue. But, you know, I don't think any of this is super surprising, you know, coming off the heels of the strike. We knew that uh, House of the Dragon was one of those rare exceptions where they were able to continue production because of, uh, you know, the production taking place overseas and majority of the of the cast, uh, you know, being of, uh, you know, international denizenship and, and what have you. Uh, but uh one that I was kind of reminded of here was uh, the Welcome to Dairy kind of prequel to Stephen King's It. And, uh, you know, it's been pushed to 2025. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what is the like appetite for that going to be so far removed from those, uh, you know, that duology that we got from Andy Muschietti, uh, 2017 and 2019, but I'll still be looking forward to it. And um, a notable exception here uh, is there was supposed to be a Dune miniseries focusing on the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. I think it was called Dune Sisterhood. Um, I don't see any mention of that whatsoever. So, uh, I believe they did. Anna- they didn't announce a date, okay. but I believe they gave it a title update, and I forget what the title is. Um, okay, they, they, it was something like that, but they didn't give any hard um, like "we're going to start this" okay. uh, type thing soon. Um, so I'm gonna I'm trying to Google it right now. Oh well, I, I appreciate the context that you provide there because I was just gonna liken it to um, the penguin here, and the penguin is like hearing that it's gonna come in you know mid to late 2024 at least. Um, uh, that's that sounds like production's gonna kick off sooner rather than later here. Yeah. And I just with Max in general, it seems like they have a tendency. Like I know the Batman was supposed to have like a Gotham. PD like series associated with that haven't heard anything about that haven't heard anything about doing the sisterhood so with the penguin it's a case of like when it actually happens I'll be a little more um, excited for it I guess yeah it looks like they're calling that dune series dune prophecy and it's prophecy. Spe- it's ah, speculated okay. that it'll be around late 2024 but nothing uh, seems to be like super official about it yet so okay um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you on The Last of Us. That was the most. Uh, that was one of my favorite series I've watched in a really long time. Was The Last of Us season one. Um, I that that show's begging for a second and third season, and it had an extremely strong viewership. Uh, the source material is extremely strong uh, for The Last of Us Part Two, the video game, uh, and it will adapt extremely well to television uh, in the same way the first game did. So I'm very excited for that. It could not be uh, more on the hype train for that series mm. even though it seems like it's going to be a while I, there's not one here i'm not excited for I, I really am excited for almost everything here uh i 
really, really am excited for House of the Dragon, which hasn't been mentioned yet. I really loved that series. I loved covering it, too, over on Pandavision. It was a really, really fun one to just, like, break down every week, because Game of Thrones is a sort of complex world with lots of things and background and stuff that I, I don't know as much about, so that was a really fun uh a fun podcast to do, and I and I am really excited for that and Last of Us uh, to podcast about again. Um, Jay, let's do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Pan division. If you want to watch Last of Us and catch up on it, you gotta you got a partner podcast to go. Along that's with right. It. That's right. We we me and Jay did that shortly before we started this podcast. Um, so it's great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just excited about basically all of these white and including White Lotus and Euphoria. I like those shows a lot. Euphoria feels like it has been forever since the season. I just looked it up; it's only been a year, but like or two years almost. I guess that's a long time. How old are those kids now? Are they still in high school in that show? <laughs> I don't know. That feels weird. It feels like that's that. It feels too long to go back to Euphoria. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, at some point you can't sell me that Zendaya and Sydney Sweeney and all them are in high school. Yeah. yeah. At some point we've just we've crossed that threshold. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, let's let's do a quick talk about the Spotify poll. Um, the Spotify goal was: Did you know what Five Nights at Freddy's was before the movie? Um, and seventy three percent of people said yes. I'm honestly surprised. I I, feel, I don't know. I feel like our audience didn't necessarily. Like we didn't know much about it as a group, uh, so I felt like our audience might not either. But that's a, yeah, a case where I knew what it was, and that's where it stops. Right, which I think a lot, you know, maybe a lot of people answered that way. Like you know what it is, I just don't know anything about it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Five Nights at Freddy. I've heard of FNAF. <laughs> Never heard. of <laughs> Come it. on, guys, get on the FNAF train. Twelve <laughs> uh, percent said no. Fourteen percent said they still don't. So. Uh, <laughs> Did you listen to the episode at least? Like, <laughs> did we teach you the, what it was? Smash that thirty-second skip button. Yeah, a few times. Just never heard of this property. Get me through this. Yeah, it, done with this. There's a slider <laughs> slider through the multiverse. You can like jump to the next property or whatever. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're gonna take another quick break, and then we're gonna get to our lightning round, which we have tons of good lightning round stuff. We had a big news week this week, um, so we'll be right back with the lightning round. Welcome back to Multiverse News, uh, and uh, we got a uh, we got the lightning round. You guys ready? Oh yeah, I was born ready. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how we do this. I'm going to read a story, and uh, you, uh, all four of us, have an ch- opportunity to claim that story by uh, buzzing in with our name, and then we get to respond to that story, and everybody gets one rebuttal uh, throughout the entire of this lightning round, which we need to stick to because we're we're really killing Scotty on his sleep tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everything you respond to, you're stealing no, no. time from Scotty. Just think about it. Like, I've resigned my time to my fate. He's two hours behind us anyway. He's in the past. Oh, that's true. He's got two hours extra anyway. That's a great point. Oh, bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like normally when it's a long one and I'm and I'm the one editing – I can't make those jokes because it feels like it feels it feels like I'm going like, but guys, come on. Like, but when it's you, I get to like kind of just give you shit about it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And here we are with the lightning round. Lionsgate released the first trailer for The Marsh King's Daughter starring Daisy Ridley and Ben Mendelsohn, a film based on the best selling novel of the same name. Ridley plays Helena who was born in and then held captive in the wilderness by the Marsh King, played by Mendelssohn, and in adulthood must face her past. Haley? 
I hadn't heard of this, but now I have, and it sounds interesting. It sounds like it should be set like in um old ye olde times, but it's it's not. So it's kind of a weird like uh catch there. Hmm. Yeah, it, I, I said the trailer looks cool though. <laughs> Just to throw out there. Reminds me of where the crawdads sing that came out last summer. Hmm. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daisy Ridley still looking for that breakout role after Star Wars too, like. You know, I like, like to see her getting some work. Uh, she's yeah. a good actress. Like, mm-hmm. you know, being across from Ben Mendelsohn, like, it's a pretty good cast. Mm-hmm. All right, up next. Canadian comedy Letter Kenny is coming to an end. The series will wrap with its upcoming 12th season on Hulu, which will drop all six episodes on December 26th. Ferda. Scotty. <laughs> Give your boss a tug. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Letterkenny is one of those shows that uh, I, I'm not current with, but there was a time and, and place that I was mm-hmm. all about some Letterkenny. And uh, it's a show that is very unique in its ability to toe the line bet- between being incredibly stupid and incredibly smart with its writing. And I think between uh, Letterkenny and Trailer Park Boys, like modern Canadian sitcoms have kind of emerged as like, these this weird slice of, of media that's able to do that, be incredibly stupid but also incredibly smart at the same time. <laughs> that's really well said. Well said, well said indeed. <laughs> Thank you. After Universal's $1 billion hit adaptation, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Nintendo is developing a Zelda project with Sony Pictures Entertainment. Wes Ball, the director behind the Maze Runner trilogy, will helm the live-action feature with Sony distributing. Nintendo and Avi Arad's Arad Productions, Inc. are behind the film that will be co-financed by the gaming giant and Sony. Nintendo director Shigeru Miyamoto is also set to produce the film. Scotty. Yeah, I was I was waiting to pounce on this one. I think the last time Zelda came up on this show, like naturally, or it was an actual story, I wasn't around to speak on it. So <laughs> uh, this one's really interesting and really exciting. Uh, I think coming off the heels of the Super Mario Brothers, like we were all assuming that this was going to be an animated feature. And part of me like still really wants to see an animated feature. And part of me thinks that like an animated adaptation would be the best route to take with Zelda, like thinking of the protagonist Link and the fact that he doesn't really have any spoken dialogue and you're very much like, you know, experiencing this adventure in his boots. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see about a live action adaptation, but of all like the properties, I think uh, Zelda alongside Metroid are probably their best bets in terms of like having a really big breakout hit for live action. Um, Avi Arad, his involvement doesn't, you know, necessarily <laughs> excite me, but it seems like he's caught He's gotten wiser in in later years and and has like you know let go of some of the control that he uh, that he had previously. But uh, no, uh, you know having Shigeru Miyamoto come out and be the one to announce this. Like when you think Nintendo, if you know Nintendo, like Miyamoto is the name that goes right alongside like Nintendo. He is Nintendo. So um, yeah, I'll be waiting for this one with bated breath and basically. I'll be bringing the updates for this one as uh, multiverse news continues. Yeah, I want to get my response in for this one because yeah. this news just dropped uh, about an hour or so before we started uh, doing the show. And I was really surprised by the the pieces around this announcement. Like I saw Miyamoto 
put it out on um, on social media and say we're going to do this Zelda film. And of course, the first thing I thought was, yeah, this is going to probably be animated. It's probably going to somehow connect to the Super Mario Brothers universe. Like that's just a given, right? And then I started reading more. And I saw live action, and I kind of went. Uh, not you know okay, and then I saw like director of the Maze Runner and and uh, like the Ari Arad's Arad Productions, and I was like, man, you could have given me a hundred guesses like who's gonna direct this movie, and I would have never put my put my chips in that basket. So <laughs> it doesn't like take me out of it entirely because I'm excited about the property. Um, I grew up playing Zelda. It's, I think there's so much potential there for a really cool movie, but at the same time, I kind of walked away just being like all right, well, let's see how this goes. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like uh, let's let's see how this vision plays out. Yeah, forgive me for giving a rebuttal to a rebuttal, but I'm glad <laughs> you touched on West Ball because I didn't mention that at all. Somebody obviously has a lot of confidence in West Ball. Like, uh, he was attached to the mouse guard at one point in time, which I'm not super familiar with, but apparently is a beloved property. Uh, he's We're going to talk about Planet of the Apes later on here, but having him attached to Legend of Zelda, uh, you know, I thought, what I saw of the Maze Runner movies, I, I, I liked what I saw. It seems like he's a pretty solid filmmaker. But the fact that they have this much confidence in him really excites me for Planet of the Apes and, you know, the, the future of Zelda. Yeah. Mm. On Wednesday, Disney said that it plans to acquire the remaining 33% stake in Hulu. It doesn't own from the NBC Universal parent Comcast for an expected price of 8 $8.61 billion. The news comes a day after Hulu formally went on the market. Matt. Jay. Okay, go, go for it. You got it. Oh, well, I was just going to say that um, we knew this was going to happen. Um, we, we talked about it a few months ago that this, that this deal was going to happen. What I think is interesting in the long term is to think about how this might affect properties in Hollywood. There have been rumors for years that NBC Universal was looking to buy Warner Brothers and absorb Warner Brothers Discovery uh, into its into its uh, conglomerate. And now they have the cash to do that, right, with this type of an acquisition. So I think it does change that possibility a little bit to where um, I think that's a that's an interest. It's always been there. Like it's always been a rumor in in the industry. Like Warner Brothers is going to end up under the control of NB, NBC Universal at some point. So to see this major sale and this major transaction happen, I think it does lend a little bit more, at least, possibility to that. So definitely something to watch. Twentieth hmm. Century Studios has released the first trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. The film is currently set to premiere on May 24th, 2024. Scotty, uh, if you couldn't tell with my previous response, I'm super excited for this one. And this trailer was was pretty much perfect. It was It had kind of a solemn tone to it that kind of felt like it was paying homage to the trilogy that came before while not being necessarily beholden or super, super connected to it. But I think the my biggest takeaway uh, was the fact that they're exploring this part of the Planet of the Apes like timeline and franchise that we've never really seen but just seems so, so ripe. And I think we got the closest closest to it in War for the Planet of the Apes in the sense that this is a, a an Earth where the apes are really taking over and really have their society but it seems like, you know, humans are almost completely out of the picture at this point. They are being hunted like feral beings. And we really have this ape society. And, like, there's no more sign language. They are speaking and enunciating, like, you know, clearly with each other. So uh, this one looks like it's going to be epic and 
you know, maybe like biblical in nature. So I am uh, super looking forward to it. FX has renewed hit show The Bear for a third season. Jay, have you guys ever watched The Bear before? No. I watched an episode and it stressed me out so badly it's that like, I, I couldn't go on. It's one of the most stressful shows that you'll ever watch in your entire life. And um, I saw something on uh, Twitter today that somebody put out. It was like, I watched The Bear and it made me so anxious that I decided to watch something that would make me less anxious. So I watched a 9-11 documentary instead, <laughs> which I think oh kind, of, kind of like <laughs> encapsulates like... <laughs> The what this show means to people is like they watch it and they're like, ah, I can't take watching this. It's stressing me out. But they keep going back to it. You know, people love this show uh, and people were really hyped that a third season got renewed. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely hitting its stride like it's it's moving. I haven't seen it, I guess, rebuttal, tiny butt, but <laughs> I haven't seen it. But I've seen a ton of it on TikTok. Weirdly, it's like people put little clips like little whatever, 40-second clips of, of this show, and I've seen a bunch of them, and they always seem really intriguing. It's made me want to watch the show. I'm always like, what? Ha- this is hashtag what show? Oh, The Bear. It's a good show. The Bear. Yeah. yeah, it's a good show. It's definitely like, I mean, I just made it seem like it was super stressful, and it is, but uh, it's if, if, you're, if you're down with that in your TV viewing experience, uh, it is a good show. Nice. Hulu is in the earliest stages of development and on a new iteration of the former Fox series Prison Break with Mayans MC showrunner Elgin James at the helm. The potential series would not follow the central characters from the original show played by Wentworth Miller and Dominique Purcell, but would be set in the same world. Matt, never watched this show, but I, uh... I always was intrigued because it always came on after 24 and I saw it like, but I wasn't cut. I, it, it was back like before like streaming was really a thing. And like you had to like download shows to get them. I didn't have this show. So I, uh, I got behind and I watched the first episode or two and then got behind, but I always liked it. And I always thought and I heard lots of people talking about it over the years about how good the show is. And I know those two characters went on to play, uh, characters in the CWDC verse. Um, that that were beloved kind of because of their connection back on uh, that show. So I don't know. It, it has a beloved fan base. Um, and I think it's kind of neat to go revisit. You can always do more prison break stuff. Uh, in, in another, <laughs> they got out again. Yeah. Can you believe it? They're right. Well, that's a, this show seemed that way, like a little bit like, Oh, they're, they, they're out. And season two, they got to break out of a different one. I don't know. I, I've never watched enough of it to know, but uh, it does seem like there's a lot of rich stuff in the world and you could just tell another story and you could have, if since it's in the same world, I, I love the idea of a connected universe with this where like you could have those characters drop in and do a little, it makes me want to go back and watch prison break, but I've been saying that for like 15 years. So I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, the first trailer for the fall guy starring Ryan Gosling, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Emily blunt has been released. The film is inspired by the 1980s TV series of the same name and is directed by David Leet. Um, the filmmaker behind Bullet Train, Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, and Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, the film centers on Gosling's character, a stunt double who must track down a missing action star he doubles for. Matt. I just want to talk about this one. I, this looks great. This just looks absolutely wonderful. It looks uh, creative. 
I have more and more loved Ryan Gosling uh, as, as the years have gone on. I just realized, like, I think I like almost everything I've seen him in. Um, and he's just always a bright spot in whatever he's in. Uh, and so, and it, this just looks cool because it's like a lot of cool, like Hollywood action-y tropes, but told, but mixed with behind the scenes stuff. So it's like, I don't know. I used to play a game called Stuntman on PS2 or something, and it was you you were playing a racing game, but you had to do the moves exactly right to be the stuntman. And this reminds me of that. It's like car chases, but on this weird kind of artificial controlled environment. But in the it, clearly in the trailer, he also ends up having to have like actual fights and actually do some of the stunts he's done. On, you know, sort of do stunts in real life, and it just seems like. A fun thing, like the super his superpower is that he's a stunt man and just can get knocked around a little bit. I I think it looks like a lot of fun. Scotty with a rebuttal. Uh, this is one of those instances where I feel like the talent, both in front of and behind the camera, like is elevating the concept because mm. the concept alone, like I was not bought into this one. And uh, there's another movie that's out right now called Freelance, starring Allison Brie and John Cena. And, like, you know, in lesser hands, I could see this movie playing like that movie, which is doing abysmally, by the way, both critically and, and audience-wise and financially. Uh, yeah, just uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see uh, the concept being elevated by, by, you know, everyone that you mentioned, Ryan Gosling especially. Mm. Like he can do no wrong right now, especially coming off of uh, Barbie. Right. He's just kin. He's just kin. Representatives from SAG-AFTRA met with the heads of major studios again today after studios pitched their self-described best and final offer to the Guild on Friday. As of now, the sides have still not compromised on the key issues, particularly around the use of AI and copying an actor's likeness for use in the future. More meetings between the sides are expected to happen this week. Haley, please see above my email about Nicolas Cage. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the CW series Superman and Lois will conclude with its upcoming 10-episode fourth season, marking the end of the DC series era at the CW. The final season is supposed to air on the CW in 2024. Jay, uh, I'm glad I'm getting. I'm glad, I'm glad it's getting an end uh, for people who are uh, attached to that. The CW shows have fallen off one by one as they've wrapped up, and that interconnected universe has been broken down to this last show. Uh, the show did get carved up a little bit. Uh, the episodes got carved down. Uh, the writers' room got slashed down to the bare bones to try to make it happen on a very small budget. So I don't think that gives you particularly confidence if you're a fan of this, but it will at least get some sort of a resolution, which I guess is a positive thing. Absolutely. I, the CWDC has been quite the era of like cool, interconnected storytelling. It's had its ups and downs, good and bad, but like I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that this series is getting an ending. Cause I think, some of them did and some of them didn't, if I'm not mistaken. But the cool thing was when some of them didn't, they would cross them over with other ones and kind of give the story. It's it's neat. They they they, they tend to they seem to really care about the story and the, the fans on that on that series. So the whole CW as a whole. So that's cool. 
Universal and Blumhouse horror hit Five Nights at Freddy's led a slow weekend at the domestic box office amid the ongoing SAG after strike. Originally, Denis Villeneuve's high-profile tentpole Dune Part 2 was set to open this weekend, but the movie was pushed back to 2024 because of the actor strike and prohibitions on stars doing any promotion for projects. Domestic ticket sales for all current films in theaters are expected to come in at $64 million for the weekend, one of the lowest showings of the year so far. Haley, sorry, I don't have anything to talk about most of these lightning round (laughs) injuries today, so I'm like, let me go with the boring ones. Um, (laughs) I don't think this is that surprising, kind of given the time of year. Like, everything was probably going to get out of Dune's way, and when they moved it, it was like, well, what are we supposed to do now? Because everything's either slated or coming out or has been pushed. Um, I think it does make room for, I think there's a new horror movie called Thanksgiving coming out soon. So I kind of expect that to have a good showing. Um, And then maybe this will give the marbles a boost, like boost, like maybe people goes to the movies and see it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. That was kind of going to be my, my take on it was just that like, sometimes when you have a slow weekend at the box office, there are people like Jay Scotty who go to the movies all the time. It's like part of their, part of their activities uh, in their daily life. Like they weekly go to the movies or whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. if you have a weekend of not many people go to the movies, some of those people are going to, it's going to be built up demand basically. So maybe the Marvels will get a little boost. I agree. Hulu has ordered two more seasons of the adult animated series, Futurama. The streamer, revived the series in 2022 with a 20-episode order. Season 11 premiered July 24th on Hulu and was on Nielsen's top 10 original series list for six weeks. Season 12 is expected to debut on Hulu in 2024. The 20-episode last latest order is for seasons 13 and 14. Scotty. Good news, everyone. <laughs> we have at least 30 more episodes of Futurama to look forward to. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Um, I really enjoyed the revival of Futurama on Hulu. I thought it had two or three, like, really stand up, uh, stand out, rather, episodes that, you know, I hold them up in the highest light up there with uh, some of the best episodes of Futurama from all of its eras, be it on Fox or be it on Comedy Central. So uh, to know that it did so well and that they're going to, you know, invest so heavily in making sure that we have a lot of Futurama to to keep on enjoying for the years to come um, as a Futurama fan, as an animation fan, and as a fandom and sci-fi fan, good news, everyone. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, that is our lightning round for this week you guys and our show for this week uh you know it it didn't go too crazy we, we got it in under an hour and a half um <laughs> it was a busy news Your long week. podcasts are a thing for you lately so that's true that's true <laughs> loki's got me messed up and now up, for man. matt's corner where he talks about loki take it away <laughs> here i go here one i go hour. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you want to hear me talk about loki please go check out marvel cinematic universe podcast i've been doing it a lot lately um but the big thing is this week i do want to mention before we uh get off that we are do if you're on twitch if you're watching this on twitch if you watch on things on twitch with us we're gonna have a big night thursday thursday we're going to see the Marvels at like I'm going at or I think 
5 p.m. Central is when we're going. So by 7, we should, 7, 7.30, we'll be on stream uh, talking about the Marvels. Then we'll we'll talk about that for an hour or whatever. Then we're going to go watch Loki and come right back and finish that. So uh, <laughs> we're going to be doing two podcasts at night on stream. I, I promise those won't be two hours each. Uh, but the, the but the I don't know I don't know if I'd promise that. <laughs> you're right I don't want to I don't want to be creatively stifled, um, but uh, by myself don't clip my wings don't don't clip my wings me don't clip my wings <laughs> I don't know it's bad poor Jay we gotta get out of here <laughs> poor Jay I was, He's like just I'm wrap it up <laughs> yeah, we're wrapping we're wrapping uh, well I let's, did this for you listeners let's 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 hear uh, let's hear Jason. Uh, give his pitch for where else you can find him online in in his best cold voice. Yeah, hopefully I'll be well by the time we record this week. But you can find me on Commute the Podcast, where uh, me and my co-host cover three interesting topics in 20 minutes. So come hang out with us, and hopefully I won't sound as nasally on that uh, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Haley Hobbs? Yeah, I'm on Source Pages. We just dropped our Carol Danvers Captain Marvel primer um, tonight. So you can check it out before you see the Marvels. We've done all the work for you. Sweet. And J. Scotty St. Clair. I'm also over on Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And Invincible Season 2 just had its first episode, so I'll be talking about that over there. I'm talking about Futurama over there. We're talking about anime over there. So join us over there, Animation Deliberation, wherever you get your podcast. All right, and we'll be back next week with more news from around the multiverse. Peace. You stay classy, multiverse.